Today is Monday, January 23rd. The title for our devotional is Betrayal. A new campaign, remember, is called The Table. I like to begin each week with just a reminder and a recap of where we're headed with this whole campaign. When we talk about the table in the church, we usually refer to the table of the Lord's Supper or communion. In doing so, we're remembering Christ's saving work on the cross for us and participating with Christ in his story. At the table, we are tied together as a community, which we'll talk about in 1 Corinthians 11. More broadly, at the table, we find a symbol of welcome, hospitality, and community. So we see the table becomes this powerful symbol of the Christian life. Before we move on from the Last Supper setting in Luke 22, there are a couple of themes in the text that we need to address as they pertain to the table. Those are betrayal and servant leadership. This week, we're going to explore the betrayal theme, then after that, we'll move into 1 Corinthians 11. In the midst of the most intimate meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples, the scene is tainted with this threat of betrayal. As Jesus is about to give his life in the world's utmost act of self-sacrificial love, two of his closest followers will betray him, and all of them will flee from him. This text occurs just before the Last Supper, which we've been covering the last couple of weeks. Luke 22, 1-6 Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over when no crowd was present. We learn in verse 2 that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were afraid of the people. This is why they didn't arrest him at any time while he was publicly teaching in Jerusalem. They knew that he was well-liked among the people and feared the people coming to his aid if they were to step in and arrest him. This is where Judas comes in. They needed someone in his inner circle to let them know when he would be isolated so they could arrest him without worrying about an uprising. Judas knows that Jesus will be heading out to the Garden of Gethsemane after the meal. And this is where he agrees to have them arrest Jesus. We don't have any thorough explanation of why Judas betrayed Jesus. We know that he was the keeper of the money among the disciples and that he was greedy, as John 12:6 tells us. So perhaps he just saw an opportunity to line his pockets and make some money. It has been suggested that perhaps he grew tired of waiting for Jesus to usher in his messianic kingdom, overthrow the Roman rule, and establish Israel's independent kingdom yet again. So he perhaps thought that this would push Jesus or give Jesus the push that he needed to start the rebellion. We don't know for sure, but we do know that Satan was the animating force, as verse 3 tells us, as Satan entered him. Yet, in the mystery of divine sovereignty, this was still God's plan at the same time. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. The truth of this text is nothing short of amazing. Truth in the sense that it describes reality. Scripture, the Gospels, reveals life as it really is, humans as we really are. It doesn't sugarcoat life for us. It doesn't give us a pie-in-the-sky fantasy. Scripture offers real hope in a real world, true light and darkness. This has always drawn me to the message of the gospel. We often forget in the world of social media where everyone has a camera in their pocket that the authors of the gospels wrote their accounts much later and certainly could have left out their shortcomings and failures from the text. Yet they often put them front and center. This reveals the grace of God even more in his election of them, in spite of knowing their soon-to-be failures. 
It reveals his mercy and his forgiveness. We see ourselves then in the disciples, our shortcomings, our failures, our sins. We see our churches in the group of the disciples, the unity around the table, and yet the betrayal, the hurt, and the reconciliation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus here prepares his disciples for the reality of ministry in the church. As we learn in the rest of the New Testament, betrayal is a common occurrence. We see in 1 John 2:19, 2, 2 Timothy 3:1 through 9, and Acts 15:36-41, just to name a few. So in this story, Jesus and Jesus predicting these events, knowing that these betrayals were coming amongst his disciples, the disciples would have learned not to be surprised when they experienced similar betrayals in the church. If someone could betray the perfect, sinless Son of God, people will certainly betray the sinful, imperfect apostles. Reflection time today, I often come across stories of betrayal and church hurt. If you've been in the church for very long, you probably have experienced some form of this as well. These stories are tragic, they're full of evil, yet so many of us have these betrayals as a part of our stories. When you reflect on your experiences of church in your past, how does this story of Jesus' betrayal color your view of the hurts that you've experienced? We're going to talk about this all week, but for today, I want you to just think through some of your experiences and some of the hurts that you've experienced in the church in the past, and then think through those through the lens of what we're reading about here, about Jesus' betrayal from Judas, and also later we'll see from Peter.